Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the VR1 Business Podcast. And I'm your host. I have so much that I want to contribute and convey to you all. I found myself doing some research on the financial crisis. And it... it kind of fast forwarded me to look into the the presidential debates before this last election and um it's like one tragedy basically led to the next and what I'm realizing in the market is like a a chain reaction of events and that's what I kind of want to you know, discuss with you because even when when I was thinking about putting the program together, you know, I had the need that like the urge to to reach out to some of my advisors, etc., to kind of voice my concerns. And um, subconsciously, something in my mind is basically giving me the inclination to realize that there's a a shift in the pattern of business, um, commerce, you know, everything that's kind of going on. So in this research, they mentioned the housing crisis of 2008. That's kind of where I started. And I remember moving clear across the world uh, just about a year and a half to two years prior to that. And um, not having an idea of how that would impact my life, only looking back, you know, as far as how, you know, the market boom kind of burst in this bubble and how real estate was forever changed and foreclosures and losing homes. You know, I went through that entire process. And I think I have been playing defense since that crisis, meaning trying to hold on to whatever is there versus, you know, acquiring more. You know, acquiring more wealth, more stability, etc. And um, that's kind of what I want to talk about at this moment. Because I feel that it's so important. Um, I have done a few magazine articles as of lately. And um, I've displayed many tactics, you know, for wealth building. And I realized that the reason why it's so challenging to the new generation, like the new common consensus, is because people have not mentally recovered from these crises because they didn't understand exactly what was happening. Like there was a miscommunication between the Federal Reserve, the financial markets, Wall Street, Main Street, etc. People had an idea of what was happening in the sense of what was affecting them, but they couldn't see the overall picture. 
And it comes down to communication because, you know, the Federal Reserve and the financial markets did a horrible job at explaining what was happening. All I can use as a contrast is my own experience with real estate and business during this time. So I'm not surprised that I had the track record that I had with business during these markets because what set me apart is the fact that I was thinking outside of the box. And I was able to kind of, you know, go in between industries and businesses and products and services. So when an entrepreneur is focused on one region of business, that's pretty much all they can dominate. Um, a person that makes a million dollars a year doesn't doesn't do so because they want to. They do it because they don't know how to produce $20 million a year or $100 million or a billion dollars a year. And I know that in financial institutions, as far as like education, we're not taught to understand that. So this is the elephant in the room that we need to discuss. Because when it comes to finances, people have like um, a lot of different perspectives. Like even though my mind is on business 24-7, the finances are only one of the elements. So even having a conversation about success and life, etc., doesn't focus nearly as much as it should on the financial side of it because the numbers seem to be a remainder, uh, a constant, if you will, as a, as a measurement. If we can interpret ourselves as such you know to monitor these changes because um i'm going to give you an example and we'll we'll bring all of this together because before i write the new article for future tech plus which you all know is my online magazine um i like to purge some of these key concepts as far as financials so, I faced myself with a challenge to expand my business. My business operates in about five different markets. One market is the only uncharted water. Looking back into retrospect, that is the market that I should have targeted. And due to reasons... In a sense, sub-psychologically, I did not. So I believe that what I'm doing right now is learning why I didn't make that decision and why it's something that's still prevalent, meaning could this be where the potential is for my business, right? So we'll put that out into the ether. So in my business, I had to be able to develop these four other markets. So let's divide my business range into four markets with the fifth one being the fifth element, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, transportation obviously would be an issue because I can only travel so far on any given day each day. Now, the time that would be invested going towards the business ventures 
and the time that would be invested returning still had to make some financial sense for the growth and development of the business. So when I explored what my transportation options were, I realized one of three things. Number one, my range by a vehicle could only be exceeded or superseded by traveling through the use of a helicopter or a light aircraft like a small private jet. Um, just to give you some, some background, um, my jet of choice is the, the Sirius Vision jet, which predominantly sits about seven people. Okay, There are configurations where you have two pilots, and then you have the capacity to seat four or five people. There may be other considerations and configurations, but for this example, I'm only referring to an aircraft that can sit five people, um, not including the pilots, which would be seven total people that could travel. Now, this jet is powerful enough that one person could fly it, and um, maybe when your business is developing, that may be ideal, just to be able to use a jet like that to, to travel. But eventually, you will want to hire uh, an additional pilot to help you fly your jet. And then eventually hire two pilots to, to, to travel with you, right? Now, this is important for many things because the range of this aircraft would be beyond the five to seven neighboring states of where my business markets are. So if, if my business market has, let's say, five components, you would multiply it times five. So that would be 25 business markets that I would be able to penetrate, incorporating my business ventures, and developing that potential market. So I've, I've shown you the macro. So let's go back to the micro, right? Let's, let's bring it down to basic terms. When selecting transportation, the concern is fuel consumption and range. Both one and the same when you think about the financial impact that it has, not only in liabilities and expenses, but what productivity could be, meaning what can you produce by spending the time, you know, and the effort, the fuel, and the range, right? Now, by comparison, a private jet, by the time I got in the air, it will be time to land because I'm flying within the same state, correct? Correct. If you understand the way planes fly, they fly in steps. So they build little pyramids and they go up and then they go down to land. So it wouldn't be as effective or efficient as, let's say, a helicopter. So what is the difference in fuel cost between a small private jet, which the operating expenses are close to $900 per hour, per flight hour, and the flights that I would need to take are no longer more than, let's say, an hour or an hour and a half. So we're looking at an expense rate of 
$1,200 in, e in each direction. So that's $2,400. let us say you had to do that six days a week. That would be $12,000 plus six times four, which would be another $2,400. So you're looking at an operating cost. And, and this is if you owned the aircraft and your pilot was paid for and everything to somewhere between fourteen and 16000 which is a ridiculous overhead. We're talking $64,000 a month, maybe close to 800000 a year. Okay? You might as well expand to, you know, instead of 25 sub-markets, right, to 250 and still maybe you wouldn't break even. But again, I want to give you guys um, multiple examples, right? So now, the comparison between fuel cost and range wouldn't really matter because the helicopter would fly easier within my, my boundaries of the, just these five markets. But you still have an issue with the fuel. Instead of spending twelve to $1,400 uh, in each direction, maybe you will spend $1,500 per day. So the savings will be $900. Still not a significant difference, right? It's still not a major change. Even though it's less expensive, you're limited to that terrain. You're limited to the range, right? Because obviously a helicopter has a smaller engine. Now, the complexity of a helicopter, even though it has the versatility of being able to land just about anywhere, again, is limited by its design. Because now if I wanted to go into the tri-state area or five states away, I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't make sense to do it in a helicopter. Okay? So we're just using the helicopter or a small private jet as an example. So now we have another choice, okay? We can go by way of automobile. Well, there's three different types of automobiles. You have regular gasoline-powered vehicles. You have hybrid vehicles, which are gasoline-powered vehicles with engines that are attached to an electric motor. And there's a lot of different variations, right? Some are hybrids, some are plug-in hybrids, some are economical, some are performance, etc., now, the last alternative and the final frontier would be full electricity, meaning an electrical vehicle like a Polestar, a Rivian, a Lucid, or a Tesla. So, doing the comparison, the first concern is range, okay? Now, for Teslas, which is the example that I gave in the article, there are two different versions. You know, your base model starts at around a range of just a little over 200 miles. Now, if you were to secure an extended range, you could easily double that. You know, you'd be closer to the 330-mile range, you know, over, let's say, the standard 240 or 250 miles. So you have, let's say, an additional 80 miles. And um, if you're not driving spiritedly uh maybe longer you know if you're not driving as fast and 
you're willing to spend the extra time, you can save some battery, thus increasing the range. So that's the first concern. Second concern is, what about supercharger stations? Just like an airport for an aircraft or a small private jet that could go to a private airstrip, when you're talking about range, whether you're speaking about a general gasoline combustion engine or even a hybrid, you are going to uh, basically map out your routes based on GPS that is going to direct you towards, you know, food, shelter, and obviously gasoline. Well, it is a little bit more important when you're dealing with a hybrid or an electric vehicle that needs to be plugged in, that does not have the choice to run, let's say for a hybrid, can shut down the electric motor and let you drive on the gasoline motor. So when it comes to range anxiety, which is what most people have the fear of, right, when when considering purchasing, let's say, an electric vehicle such as a Tesla, because obviously a Rivian is more expensive, Lucid is more expensive, Polestar is more expensive, right? Well, now I knew that the business range would be limited to, for example, where I could find a charging station, because I would be driving so far from home that I would have to charge the previous night for my morning trip, then go attend the business from open to close, then maybe on my lunch break, take the time to go recharge the vehicle so that I could return home. Then once I got home, I would recharge it for a second time so that I could make that first trip in the morning back to the business. Now, the difference in cost are not that great when you're driving it to the limit. Especially if you're in a situation where, let's say, maybe you're leasing the vehicle and you're going to, you know, use it as a tax write-off, etc. And eventually, you know, you save up to be able to buy it. But in the very beginning, it's going to be the roughest, right? So when I thought about the savings, I think the average would be about $500 per month versus a gasoline vehicle. $500 doesn't seem a lot, but I realized that I was looking at the situation with the wrong perspective. It became an issue of time, meaning if I flew a private jet to close a major deal, that would be amazing because Without the private jet, I couldn't go secure the major deal. The problem is those major deals are seasonal. They don't happen on a consistent basis. So the advantage would be, regardless of the expenses, it would be basically to arrive at your destination in the fastest, most efficient way. Where, you know, you can get business basically taken care of. Granted, if a person is super, super successful and they can close out major, major deals on a regular basis, then it would make sense. But if I had a choice of the top three traveling mechanisms, you would only use a private jet if it was necessary. Or, for example, we also use a helicopter as an example, right? So driving a vehicle would be the best option for my business at this stage that the business is in. Now, Taking all that into consideration, the savings are only $500. The benefit is 
that that $500, which comes out to about $125 a week, can be reinvested into the business. And although it's a small percentage, let's say we had a budget of $4,000 per month, or realistically four to 6000 right? But just to give you a range, let's say 4000 And having a regular gasoline vehicle with the car payment, insurance, registration, bridges and tolls, fuel consumption, etc., you're spending thirty-four dollars to $3,500 a month to drive the range that I need to drive, right? Which is more than half of my day. Now, in an electric vehicle, I could do it for $3,500. Remember that the range is four to 6000 but let's use 4000 as our example. Now, what are the greatest advantages? The greatest advantage is the fact that in a supercharger, within 20 minutes, I could completely charge and have over 300 miles of range. So when I thought about it in a concept of time, it started to make more sense. But this is the golden key right here. If you think about it in aircraft terms, it makes perfect sense with the added bonus of saving time, being able to charge in 20 minutes, those $500 that are extra at the end of every month. Productivity increases because now that is sufficient to hire a company to help with digital marketing or promotion for the business product or service. This is money that would have went into gasoline that I would have never had access to, right? Also, I use the comparison of uh, an ounce of gold. Let's say for conversations purposes, an ounce of gold is $2,000. That means every three and a half to four months, I would be able to purchase for pure investment or storage of wealth, an ounce of gold. So at the end of a year, my goal would be how many bars of gold can I purchase? I mean, how many ounces of gold could I purchase just by saving the money? Now, that is the element that you need to build a money-making machine, which we will be discussing in the future. But just to give you an example, when you compare it to an aircraft, everything changes. Because remember that the aircraft, the, the minimum expense um, per day is between two and $3,000. A helicopter is probably half of that. When you're talking about a gasoline-powered vehicle, you know, you're probably looking at a third of that just to be able to use it to grow, scale, and expand the business. So by comparison, if I'm looking at spending two to $3,000 per day, but I'm in a position where I could spend 1500 as a second option or even three to 500 as the third option, it makes perfect sense. This is in a weekly cycle to be able to do that in an electric vehicle because the filter that I was looking at the situation with was not being applied properly. First of all, it's also an additional stream of income to be able to create content during the transportation time, such as my podcast and, you know, anything else that I have going on as far as being able to, to, to do it live. So let's say for hypothetical reasons, let's say that not only could we save $500 
at the end of every month, which is an additional 500 we can invest into the business or in a precious metal such as gold, which is this is the example we gave. But now let's say that the content that's being created also generates equally another $500. That's an extra $1,000, $12,000 in a year for six ounces of gold that we're adding to the bottom line of the business. Why allow myself to have the comfort of driving a regular vehicle and spending $4,000 in, in gasoline when I could only spend $3,500 on electricity and have an additional $500 on top of the fact that the content creation number one goal is to match whatever that saving is. And when you cross-diagram everything back to the aircraft, there's no way that an electric vehicle is going to come anywhere near as close as far as expenses because even the transmission, the gearing is very simple. The engine transmission and differential is all one unit. When you buy a Tesla, you can buy more range by having an upgraded battery pack. You can buy more power by having a dual motor setup, which now allows the car to be um, all-wheel drive and increases the, the towing capacity. Or for a high-performance application, you would have up to three motors, where one motor serves as the main power generator for each of the front wheels. So this is, again, just to give you an example to put things into perspective. This market forces these type of economics upon our public that has no idea that this is what's going on. It's like purchasing a house and raising the rent to pay for the mortgage, and whatever's the balance is the profit. It's like buying a vehicle or leasing a vehicle, using it to drive Lyft Uber, and profiting whatever remains after the costs and liabilities of financing or leasing the vehicle. Now, in order for that to be a sustainable model, the business obviously will have to produce on a daily basis. And in my business, that's usually what tends to happen, even though, you know, every business has days where you have no clients, right? So why is that important? Because now I'm considering expanding my business to this fifth element market. This is the unknown, uh, uncharted water as far as business. And I see that my business is growing in that direction. So when, when a person understands economics and, and financials, they know exactly what are the elements and the components to basically build a, a, a money machine. When people don't understand the economics and the financials, it makes it difficult for them to understand. I'll give you a wild card example, as I always like to do for all of you who are my alumni, right? I go to a franchise today because I need to go eat lunch. On the, on the space where you actually pay, it tells you such and such franchise, you know, X amount of dollars to be invested. Not only am I interested in franchises, I really think it's one of the better ones, which is why I go there myself. And 
every time I go there, I'm just thinking about ways to make it better. Their system is very, very nice, very good system. So when I think about the investment, I compare it to how much money I'm spending when I attend that restaurant. And I say, well, if I don't go to this restaurant for 2,000 days in a row, I'll be able to afford this as a franchise. Granted, what I believe that the franchise is actually worth is at least 12 times that amount. So in my mentality, I'm not thinking about how can I buy one of these franchises. In my mentality, what I'm thinking is how can I buy 12 of these franchises? Because at that moment, what I was considering was for every child that I have, I want to own 12 of these franchises. And I figured each franchise could sustain their lifestyle for one month. Because in that particular franchise, 50% of the profit goes to, to the franchise itself. Which is maybe 30% overpriced, but it makes perfect sense to me. Being a musician, being an artist, and being able to go on tour and deal with cash on a regular basis... My number one inclination is real estate for that same reason because I wouldn't want to put my money in the bank. I wouldn't want to show income to build credit to just keep putting money back in the bank and paying a ridiculous amount of fees for everything that's financial. Just like I would look at a small condominium or a small house or a small shopping center to hedge my investment of being a musician and an artist, I could do the same much faster with these franchises, which are in the food industry. So, what this franchise cost, I could easily generate 12 times over in one performance. Now, granted, that's with one or two hits on the radio. Without, I could still afford between three and five of these franchises. So, now the light bulb goes off. Again, I'm reflecting on my subconscious. Wow, I'm thinking about franchising. I want to, you know, penetrate certain areas of business. Where is this inspiration coming from? Well, that's why I went back to the financial meltdown of 2008. I went back to all the financial advisors that were on the, on the Secretary of Finance boards for presidents going all the way back to... Um, to George Bush, the son, not, not, not senior. So all this is coming together because even with real estate, I see the, the changing times. You know, there's a property that I'm trying to work on right now, and I'm trying to understand how the market is shifting from side to side. How is the market recovering from, let's say, a COVID-19 and what could I do differently, not only in my day-to-day businesses and investments, but in my other long-term investments? For example, as another wildcard example, you know, I'm reaching a moment where I'm like, okay, I need to secure a deal for the catalog, but it may be a smaller deal than I initially conceived. Well, it comes down to the same thing because my value is going to be based on my leverage. And the more time I'm, I'm doing things independently, the more leverage I'm going to gain and the more profitability is going to increase. Well, I don't need to sign with a major record label to do that because if in the end, that's what these professionals are telling me is build everything up 
and then try to liquidate it as you would, let's say, in a business where you are focused on, let's say, quantum growth. This is completely different. Now, I don't have the pressure to go do a major arena because I'm trying to buy a shopping center. I could do a big venue and still be able to afford a small condominium and eventually buy a building where before I maybe would have been interested in buying one floor. One floor could be four to six units, to give you an example. So an entire building may be three to four stories high, and each floor will have four to six units. To, to put things in an even smaller perspective, which is a quicker goal for myself, now I could do one performance or two, and instead of securing a condominium, which I could if I did it through financing and credit, now I could just buy these franchises and own them outright. So now my perspective has changed completely. My aim has changed completely. Again, I gave you the example of the Tesla, a helicopter, or, or a Vision jet, which is a small private jet. Well, if I'm operating my business with a Tesla, for example, I don't need to focus on anything beyond a small condominium or a small building, even a small um, shopping center. You understand me? Why? Because now the aim has become to fulfill what is my perspective, which is to own all of these franchises sooner than I anticipated. Because, for example... We're in the month of June, 2023. If I am able to reach my goal, because I'm, I'm actually working my way up to, to giving myself a very nice gift. For the people that read my magazine, you guys know what it is. Well, if that's the case, I could get 12 of these franchises, and I could do that within six months. Now, that's when the big idea starts flowing. That's when I'm like, okay, let me do the podcast. Let me format everything on my dream board. I will release the podcast. Then write the article on Future Tech Plus as I'm doing more research about this topic. Why? Because at the end of the day, everything is saved. And when something is, is posted and it's on the cloud... You can always go back and review it. Mind you, I can also teach a class about this to all of my students online. While I am promoting a new release that I'm scheduled to, to release later on today with seven new songs. So all this ball of energy started by looking at the financial crisis of 2008. My youngest son was born a year later. Just to give you an example, two or three years prior to that, I had moved all the way across the world. So that opportunity, that potential was unheard of at the time. I wouldn't have calculated from 2007 to 2011 or 12 to be already experienced with real estate and how the actual complete ecosystem works because now I'm seeing new potential in real estate because real estate is slowing down. I think personally real estate has stopped. So it creates a unique opportunity where 
to hedge the bet of buying new real estate in a small condominium, small building, or, or small shopping center, small venue, when you cross-diagram that with being able to buy these franchises, what would be the goal of the franchises? It wouldn't be to buy more. It would be to use that profit towards new real estate. But at the same time, there is also potential where if the business structures have a daily cash flow, playing the credit card game, now I could pick up these properties that are falling behind. And I can see why it's falling behind. Primarily, is because the buying power of each dollar is diminishing. Where I would have said every three years, now I would say three months. Where I would say three to six months, I would really say four to five weeks. So everything has decreased by 10. So what used to cost you $1,000 directly, now in today's world, today's money, it costs you 10000 indirectly. And it's based on all the variables that the market actually presents. Why is this important? Because we are all in the pursuit of happiness trying to navigate through these financial turbulent times with uncharted waters. There is no playbook for this situation. Just like there was no playbook for the Great Depression, there was no playbook for, for the real estate boom and crash of 2008. So... What was the next major historical moment? Well, we had coronavirus, COVID-19. That was only 12 years apart. So automatically, my assumption is, is that the next crisis is going to come in six years. Well, from 2020 to 2023, that puts us at three years out of the potential six. So I'm predicting that only two years will be good, which are the next two years or next year and a half. And then one year will be bad. And then the following cycle is going to arrive. I don't believe that the following cycle is going to be, you know, in 2032. I believe that it's going to be, let me see, we have 24, 25. By 2026, is going to be the next financial meltdown. And I see that if you calculate the six-year span, basically four years have been horrible or two-thirds. So everything we're doing is at a 26% um, deficiency ratio, meaning for every million dollars that we have, we only have about $260,000 worth of buying power. So on paper, it looks good, especially when you're paying your taxes and you're building credit. Oh, my God, you know, I generated, I grossed a million dollars after paying my taxes. But with that million dollars, you're only able to purchase $260,000 worth of goods as of 2020. Now, this is three years later. So now let's continue to adjust that figure. Instead of having... $260,000 worth of buying power, I think we're at like 180000 That's a decrease of eighty grand. So the next crisis, instead of being down to, let's say, $100,000 worth of buying power, we'll probably double that. We'll probably be at $40,000 worth of buying power. And that makes a huge difference when you're trying to finance real estate, property, land, 
or let's say you're trying to rent equipment or, or working space, whether it's a warehouse or an office space for your business, or even a brick-and-mortar proof-of-concept location, which is, again, why I would hedge my investments by purchasing franchises that already have a proven structure. And then let those franchises focus solely on the purpose of acquiring new construction real estate. Because that's another way to hedge my investment long term. I don't want to buy older property unless I'm getting it at a discount and I can restore it to new quality of construction standards. When I could buy new property that is guaranteed to 10, 12, or 14 years of worry-free you know, enjoying the property. So let's put that into perspective. If I know that I have 14 years worth of, uh, of, of no worries, let's say, on a, on a newer property, I believe that I'm hedging my investment to secure income at least for eight years of those 14 where I don't have to replace, you know, anything on the property. Now, Granted that that same time frame on an older home was probably double or triple that. Maybe the construction was better back then. In today's market, when you're dealing with real estate, as far as for rental properties, all you need are the bare necessities in order for that investment to be successful. Because you put marble floors in a property doesn't mean that you can charge three times whatever the market value is for that zone or for that construction. So the era of I'm going to build an extra bathroom or I'm going to add this to an already existing property is behind us. The era of, you know, doing things that are ineffective or inefficient are behind us because COVID-19 changed everything. So Back to the first example that I gave you with the vision jet, a helicopter, or or driving a Tesla. The helicopter is automatically out. What what seemed to be a good second option has already been taken over by the potential of electric mobility. So when you compare flying a small private jet to driving an electric vehicle, it makes even more sense to invest the time by just driving the, the electric vehicle. So it makes a small private jet obsolete unless it's outside of the range of, let's say, three to five states, if, if that makes any sense. So it's the same thing when considering an investment where the income that finances the franchises will yield the profit that finances all new construction. And then that is only going to build the leverage and the cash flow to be able to pick up older properties at a discounted rate where there's still a profit margin of maybe 22%, and it will still leave me 8 to 12% of a blanket, maybe as much as 15% of a blanket to remodel that property. So now when I'm thinking about cash flow in my business, the power of the dollar is already decreased by 85%. And I'm being I'm being generous to say that. I think it's more like 90%. So out of that 90% that I'm estimating, 
I need to find ways in business to increase what I could do with my investing power by at least 65%, meaning I'm only taking a 25% loss on what would be an 80% loss. So I'm recuperating, you know, 55%. Now, that doesn't mean as an entrepreneur, I'm not going to have to work harder. Obviously, I'm going to have to work harder. But it shows potential that we can all apply ourselves, change our perspective, and look for new ways to be successful in this economy. Because I'm realizing, even going to a car dealership, that a car that was twenty-five dollars to $35,000 is now fifty-five dollars to 65000 almost double. And in most cases, whatever you're paying for at the dealership is 1.5 times what it should have costed over whatever the MSRP is. So it's not just double the price. Now we're like at 2.5, 2.75 for the same type of vehicle, for the same type of uh, uh, features available to the consumer. So it makes sense to go back and do some research on what happened in 2008 in contrast and comparison to what happened during COVID-19. And how do we maneuver through that system, what can we do differently? For me to see that franchise, for me to consider, you know, all new construction, it's a blessing because the light bulb went off. I don't have to do 20 performances to pick up 20 of these franchises. And if I build the business to that point, that's 100% what I'm going to do because I do not trust having my money in the bank, benefiting the bank who's charging me a fee to access my own money. Also, it highlights the importance of accounting, estate planning, and portfolio diversification. You know, how can I save on taxes by reinvesting the, the, the income back into the business to explore new markets and new options and new opportunities and new potential? What can I do differently is very, very important because I've said before that if we approach business the way we did before COVID-19, we're lost in the water because people don't even communicate the same. If anything, it has increased the need for interconnectivity and portable digital platforms that surf the web. It's the way that we process data. It's the way that we get um, information from technology. It's the way we educate ourselves. It's the way we entertain ourselves. The real world is the online world. This physical world, we stopped living in this world a very long time ago. And in business, it's almost the same. You know, even in my business venture now, I'm trying to see what my approach will be to process digital payments. Why? Because I'm so used to dealing with cash. At the same time, cash has become a liability. So how do you balance that out? I still have a clientele that prefers cash or cash flow. I have a new generation that is doing all digital payments. So how do you balance that out so both clientele can feel 
that their needs are being met. Well, it can't be with the old business model. It has to be with this new perspective. And digital payments help a business tremendously because it helps you develop the credit. When the bank sees that you're consistently depositing, you know, every three, four months, X amount of dollars, it makes it simpler for keeping books and accounting when you're paying your taxes and you're able to pay your taxes in advance. Now, COVID-19 did this because when people couldn't go anywhere, everything was ordered online through an email, through a phone, through a website, through an app. It was no longer hand-to-hand combat. Like, you can order lobster just like you could order a cheeseburger, just like you could order a cup of coffee from Starbucks. That did not exist before. So, not only could the consumer buy and sell products a la carte online, you know, it's to the point where uh, a client can request a stylist to come to their venue and, and service them. That didn't exist before. You know, in, in one of the articles I wrote about how Uber and Lyft are a business tool to use it, even if you don't use it for your personal use, but maybe for your clients. Maybe you have an important business meeting and you have a gala event at a venue. You could literally substitute having a tour bus full of people farting and interacting with each other before the event by just sending Ubers for people to be picked up from their door to the venue and back. So these are just examples of basically the same concept. There has to be a change because how we're looking at the economy is completely different. We'll be back in a New York minute. Now, the reason why I want to revisit, you know, the financial crisis is because I believe that there are many jewels that are there to be picked up, meaning putting everything into perspective, what could we learn from what that government bailout basically was for the banks? I'm a car guy, so I think in car terms. I think about like the bailout for General Motors gave you cars such as the ZR1, which then gave you the funding to produce the CA Corvette, which came during the Trump um, you know, presidency. So the previous uh, presidency gave you the first Corvette engineered by a black man. It's the first and only one. The Trump presidency gave you the mid-engine Corvette. The country, in a sense, was heading in one direction, and COVID-19 completely changed that. I gave all of you guys the breakdown of why each dollar really seems like a quarter. That means that we need to work four times as harder to generate $4, to be able to do with $4 what $1 used to do not even two years ago. And there were scary moments like in between 2008-2009 when gasoline shot up 5 bucks. That showed you how interconnected at least the United States was, where it affected the entire populace. COVID-19 infected the world. It changed business forever. All of my business classes 
not only do I take them online, I teach them online. And sometimes, you know, as, a, as an educator, you don't even want to do a Zoom meeting. You want it to be delivered to a person by email, social media, or, or anywhere that you connect. And then for the end user, the consumer, to be able to read through it or interact with it at their own time. So think about taking X amount of college courses throughout a semester and you're able to focus each trimester into, you know, your core study. Meaning, let's say I'm going to do math for the first six weeks. Then I'm going to do English for the next six weeks. Then I'm going to do history for the next six weeks. This is just an example. Why? Because now people can have a regular day-to-day job and they can go to school online in their downtime. Whether that's early in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, whether that's during the week or on the weekend. It doesn't matter because the way that we communicate is the way that we connect. And we connect in a hyper dimension now. It's completely different. So if what you hear and what you read about in the newspaper, what you see in the news is not enough, now you can go on Google and Bing and Yahoo and basically connect with the entire Internet. And find out what's going on. So you may hear on the radio that the financial systems are collapsing. And that real estate is having a a tough time. But now you can go to that local market and read the local news. What are business owners saying? What are consumers and clients saying about that market? Or about that product or service? Or that franchise? Or that business investment? You know, one important thing that Mr. Powell mentioned is that even the most aggressive investors, when you have something like the financial meltdown, they are the quickest to be in a position of fear and in the worst way. The the, the perspective shift from being an aggressive adrenaline junkie bull investor can quickly change into panic and frenzy and I'm going to exit and inconsistency and, and inconsistently get out of an investment at the first uh, panic of the system. Now, by comparison, by contrast, so many people feel that whatever happens in their pursuit of happiness, in their journey in life, is based on external circumstances when the reality is is that it's all an internal game. It's all an internal dynamic. If I don't think about new construction real estate versus old construction renovated real estate versus franchising, instead of putting my money in a bank, which is not going to do anything. Why? Because in the economy, every dollar that I place in there is losing its value by 80 to 85%. So what can I do to invest the money that I'm producing into other investments that would lead to, you know, multiple revenue streams that can suffice the loss of purchasing power per dollar? And we, as entrepreneurs, tend to talk a lot about business, like I said in the intro, but we rarely focus on the numbers of the financials. That is where the focus needs to be because it's the only solution that can exist in a problem that is based on numbers. 
So it would be ignorant for me to ignore the data or to look away and just pray and hope that things will change. You know, the same way that people are struggling, these billionaires are making so much money. I give you the example of Mr. Patrick Beth David and shout out to all my family of Valuetainment. He owns the Yankees. He owns a portion of the Yankees. You know, in an economy where the average person is saying, man, I just paid $50,000 for a Honda. You know, for somebody to be purchasing perhaps the greatest franchise ever, the most recognizable franchise all over the world, says a lot. Because there are people just like a Patrick Bet David that are not going to put it in a public forum. So, how is it that we have all this education on investments and financial strategy, and yet, you know, we are struggling as a community, as a society? Where was the public intrigued enough to not pay attention to what the financials are? until it affects them where they lose a home or business, etc. So, I believe these are all implementations that the game has completely changed. That the game is completely different. That, you know, unless we approach things in a brand new perspective... We're not going to yield the results that are in our hearts and minds. So at the end of the day, that is my core belief. That this is the moment highlighted by everything we discussed here. With accurate numbers. That we need to change the way that we think about business and finances. And even estate planning for long term. Diversification in your portfolio. I gave you the example with the money that I'm saving to put that into into ounces of gold and eventually gold bars. Well, what about increasing multiple revenue streams? Well, that's only going to be invested into other things. Not mixing financials, not sharing financials, not saying that business credit is the same as business income or cash flow, but using business credit in a certain manner that it facilitates purchasing, let's say, new construction real estate, which I'll probably do with just having old construction real estate that is developed, but now throwing in the dynamic of a franchise versus a precious metal versus a stock or a bond. Cash flow is starting to become king again. And also, this had not happened for the last two or three years. So, Again, this is the signal that this cycle, which was at first from 2008 to 2020, 12 years, I predict it will be six. We're on the third year of that cycle. So there's only 1.5 to 1.8, maybe 2.1 years of progress. And then you're going to have the next downfall, the next downturn. So what can I do differently in business to prepare for that? Now, now that I see that the pattern is changing, that the economy is going in a different direction and also understanding how people are easily distracted by what's really going on. We're not talking about financial literacy nearly as much as we should 
given the state of the economy. What that lets me know is that the higher-ups, the powers that be, don't even care to change the narrative because they understand that they have accepted that this is the doomsday scenario. So again, we're looking for all the signs to see what we can do differently. If the economy is going to change in three years, in a, in a four-year format where we have one and a half to two and a half years of, of progress, think about selecting a career that you could finish in a third of that time or in half of that time. Anything below what the threshold is. Why? Because that's going to make the difference of success or failure in the future. So if this cycle basically details a third of, of let's say, two-thirds being a loss, and let's say that final third portion being, you know, your potential, the next crisis is not going to come around in three years. It's probably going to come around in a year and a half. And as far as the eye can see right now in, in our economy, I think it's going to speed up to a process that's going to be every three to four months. And the time to prepare for that is now. Now is the time to prepare for that. Because this next wave, I think, is going to be harder. I think that every wave that comes as a challenge increases in magnitude. Like when things get bad, things get horribly bad. So I think this is the contingency time to basically think about every other option. Because there is no longer a choice. But to face this, you know, next economic crisis head first. This is why in Future Tech Plus, I talk so much about technology. Because people don't grasp the concept of how serious COVID-19 was. And how it has shred all of the financial institutions and the financial markets. Yet notice how the speed of how products are being released and promoted has not decreased. The speed has increased. Luxury items are up by, what, 18% in the last few years? That's just from the billionaire segment. We're not talking about, you know, the 30 40% for the affluent, you know, upper middle class and the rich. That value has to be two or three times the same for people that are poor, that are spending all kinds of money on materialistic things and own nothing but the debt. That's all they own is the debt. How do we break out of that cycle playing a fine line game with the progress and potential of a business, product, service, or a brand? When we're developing the credit, that can help the business, but it can also be the destruction of the business. So this is a very fine line. This is a very fine dance. This is not for everybody. Nobody said that this would be easy. For the first time in many years, I've actually started to consider building race cars at home again. Because I just don't see the market offering something that could be worth the money that I want to invest to have a vehicle that I want to enjoy. 
In other words, I have no confidence in whatever the industry is bringing out to the streets. Look at a car like the the Porsche, uh, the 918, no, not the 918, the the 718 Spider, the the Carrera. Uh, I think it's the Car no, not the Carrera. It's the Boxster RS. It has the motor from the GT3. They they're gonna want over 200 for that car. And with dealer markups, probably 300 grand. That's ridiculous. You know what kind of car I could build with 30 thousand dollars? Granted, everybody can't do that, but I'm just giving you guys an example. So, I wouldn't even be interested in a $100,000 Corvette with the mid-engine. Why? Because I would buy one for twenty dollars or 30000 and I would invest 70000 back into my business. For me, that's like putting money in the bank. My ATM is an investment. My ATM is a new product, new service, new brand. My ATM is not... Let me make an extra twenty thousand and put it in the bank, and by the end of the year, that extra twenty thousand is really only eleven thousand five hundred dollars worth of buying power. Maybe less, maybe as little as four thousand dollars of buying power. So what does that tell me? That's another inclination that if I'm going to invest, it's going to be outside of the territory of the United States. If it's not economy, if it's, it's taxes, if it's not taxes, it's, it's regulation. If it's not regulation, it's inflation. If it's not inflation, it's deflation. Like, there's no stability here how it used to be many, many years before. I could probably say as far as 1992, you know, we're talking 30-something years, 31 years. That's a lot by any metric. So I don't understand how people would even look at a $20 million mansion. When overseas for a million dollars, I have a house or an estate that's a thousand times better. But now I'm saving nineteen million dollars that I can invest into however many businesses I, I can secure. And that's just one investment. Again, even looking at a property that's seven to nine hundred thousand, let's say under a million. There are properties for 100, 200, 300 grand. There are properties new that are 400,000, 500,000. So that should be the standard. If I'm buying a small condominium overseas, I'm not spending more than 55 to 100 grand. Why? Because here I could buy a new house for half a million, or I could buy two used ones, two older houses for 200 grand, and still have 100,000 to do other things, to hedge my investment. By the same token, there's fucking condominiums that I could easily um, lease for 30 to 40 grand. And that'll buy me another, you know, two to three years to continue to, to invest in um, other business ventures. And that fits the time frame of my, my tour and what I want to be doing, which is film. Like in three to five years, I want to be focusing on films only. But I think that filmmaking can be something that you do later on in life where you're more stable, you're more calm, you're not moving as fast. You know, a movie could take two to three months to to be put together. And that's like record-breaking time right there. That's like a low-budget film, you know, just to kind of give you an example. So, again, all these elements, I am attuning to a highlighter 
in the market. You know, I was looking at the price of, I think it was Apple stock. I think it was $187 a share, something like that. I looked at some Tesla stocks. They were 275 bucks. At the same time, I looked at um, digital currencies such as Monero. Monero was like 147 bucks. I remember during the Trump presidency, Monero was 36 to 45 bucks. So how much growth has happened in the last six or seven years? There's no better proof of the cycle for me because it was able to, to increase in value $110 in about seven years. I think it can do that in three and a half years. By the same token, look at Ethereum Classic, which went up $260 um 2022 no 2022 2021 and it still hasn't bounced back anywhere near where it once was bitcoin is at at least at 30,000 it's half of its peak so it is heading back into the correct direction but these are all examples that we as entrepreneurs must incorporate into any business decision that we make moving forward. I'll give you an example. With Future Tech Plus, I'm incorporating things that relate to education, whether it's business or psychology. Psychology topics are major right now. But how many businesses don't implement that? Because social political pressures make it a taboo to speak about mental health. But a lot of people were scarred by COVID-19, just like a different generation was scarred by the financial um, crisis of 2008. So these are all examples of what sets, for example, my magazine apart. The magazine is called Future Tech Plus. The plus is me. I'm giving you my unique perspective during this process of building this brand. The same thing with the podcast. People thought that it was all about NFTs. No, there's a whole person behind the music behind the companies the corporations the products and the services the investment portfolio that is giving you the insight that most people in entertainment are not going to give you i am proof that you can be an artist and be an entrepreneur i'm in the process of waiting to launch the tour and of course millions of dollars are going to be generated from the tour no longer am I like before thinking about how I'm going to spend the money. The mentality is, how am I going to reinvest this money and continue to reinvest this money and reinvest this money and reinvest this money? Because the growth is in the investment. You can call it beginner's luck if you want to. But that window of opportunity for the first, you know, three to six years... That's where the growth potential is, unless you go to quantum growth, where you sell a company after five, six years. But if we're talking about crises that are going to pop up every year and a half, and eventually it's going to speed up to every three to four months, what is that telling you? The responsibility of your financial success falls back on you. You can't expect the Fed to bail the system out, the government, the banks, insurance, the SEC, all that shit, all those safety valves are gone. You want to know what the best insurance is? 
to procure and secure the future is your education. And the fact that you have the internet, that you have access to all these amazing and beautiful books and classes and courses online are the reason why there's, there's just no excuse to be a failure when it comes to business and finances because all the information is available. Granted, most people are shell-shocked. They don't understand what's going on. There's so many options that it's hard for them to choose one or, or choose several. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's your choice to educate yourself. So as I'm writing the article for Future Tech Plus, I'm also teaching a, a doctorate level class, the same as when I'm doing the podcast. And you see, when I'm focusing on my businesses or my career or my investments, I have to be all in. But the minute that I get the opportunity to do the podcast, to do the radio show, to go live, to fucking do the article for Future Tech Plus, I am all in. Yesterday's article was titled, You Will Not Outwork Me. I knew that my business partners, my family and friends would think that that article was about them. Not seeing the millions of people online that get to read my articles. That get to learn something. The same way that things were shared with me and taught to me when I began my, my, my career developing as an entrepreneur. It takes a lot of fucking balls to be an entrepreneur, especially in today's market. Regardless of social political pressures, regardless of what people say or think or do, etc. I'll give you another wild card example. For this particular business venture, um, there was one market where I had an idea for, for, for promotion, right? For marketing and stuff like that. Well, in that process... I figured the income would be so good that I would basically be able to to um, do all of these marketing campaigns to grow the business. I have just acquired a brand new business, which is much smaller, so the income is a little bit you know less, yet I'm still willing to make the same investment because my gain is long-term. This is not a short-term ordeal and long story short COVID-19 is the the common denominator it is the the ultimate factor it has completely changed the dynamic of how we do business the way that people communicate has completely changed and this economy and this financial structure is ever-changing. Everything is different. Nothing is the same. For people that have an education, their inclination is to continue to get a higher education. And higher and higher and higher and higher. And work harder and harder and harder and harder to reach the same goals that maybe before you wouldn't have to have worked as hard. So there is good that can come from this dynamic, from the situation. A lot of good can come from it if I can turn all this knowledge, which is perceived to be power, but really is potential. It's unlimited potential. And apply it towards clearly written and defined goals. On yesterday's article, I asked the question, 
you know, what did you think about my dream boards? You see, until people read the entire article, they didn't understand what I was actually doing subconsciously. I'm laying it all out. The best things in life are free. And things don't have to be complex because nature is not complex. If you plant the seed and water it, it's going to grow. And it's going to bear fruits and flowers and pollen and branches and leaves. So the same thing applies to business. What can I do differently? You know, I speak a lot about customer service, the implementation of technology, client experiences, growing a business even when it's not on Broadway with the fanciest building and furniture and signs and all the marketing and promotion in place. We are still human beings. If I give you 100% of what you want, you're going to give me 100% of what I want. There's still nothing like, like word of mouth advertising. When you go to a place and you're so driven by your client experience that you tell 200 people, and then those 200 people tell... 300 people and those 300 people tell 400 before you know it your franchise becomes a phenomenon now again by contrast it doesn't mean that I wouldn't want a franchise like a Chick-fil-A, a Burger King, a Panera Bread or Taco Bell to give you an example but it doesn't mean I won't incorporate a smaller franchise just to generate the income and build the leverage to get the franchise that I want so I'm driven by that chase, by that hunt. What's the next challenge? I'm in a situation where I'm constantly having to inspire the people around me. All different walks of life. All different facets and stages of life. But for some reason, the higher power has placed them in my hands right in front of me. What good can I do? My number one question is, how can I help you? What can I do differently? How can I take good customer service to excellence as far as customer service? How can I raise that above I mean raise that above to um you know excellent customer experience? What do I need to do? I'll close off with this. One of my mentees will be at the business tomorrow. He said, Oh, you know, you could come in late. I'm coming at this time with a I'm gonna surprise him. It is my personal goal to open the business two or three hours earlier. Why? To let the public know that this is a change in regime. To be the best business, we must be the best in all that we do. From our products to our service to the execution to how we do it to what the processes are, what the systems are in place. All those things are important. If we don't realize that this is what's happening with the economy, forget about it. A fucking shrimp that falls asleep, the, the current basically sweeps away. And this is the reality of this situation. I have to constantly remind the people around me that I love, that listen, things are completely different. We, we cannot approach things the way that we used to before. I have a burger franchise that I'm developing right now. And I am going to tell you what the secret of the franchise is. The secret is pickles and onions. How can I have the best pickles and the best onions when I'm already giving you the best burger that money can buy on the market? I realize that 
my competition in the food industry as far as burgers comes down to pickles and onions because once you put an onion on a burger it changes the dynamic of the taste palette it brings it to a different realm is it cooked onions what kind of onions is it how much onions is in the burger to give you an example well the same is true with the pickle is the pickle dill is the pickle um fermented is it fried is it cooked is it um there's so much range is it sliced in in, in small sprockets is it is it sliced uh, you know long term is it in vinegar it's, there's so many different things but i realize in this market where i'm doing research the success of my franchise will be based on the quality of pickle that i put on the burger that took me over five years to learn and to understand something that for me me and my personal taste palate I wouldn't want something bitter and kind of, you know, rubbery in my burger. I like burgers that are closer to like a barbecue style cook-off, right? Well, for the average American, like if you take the United States as an example, they love their fucking pickles. They love the bitterness. When you when you bite into it, it's like a bitter, sweet, juicy, but not really. When they go buy a burger... That's what they're thinking about. I didn't realize that until I did the, the, the research and the study on it. So I said, okay, in order for me to have the best burger, I need these two elements. I got to have the best fucking onions, which I hate onions, but I still invest in a business that sells fried onions, right? And for the burger, I need to have a better pickle. Now, I won't tell you what I've selected to use, but I immediately had an idea of what kind of pickle I would want to put on my burger. And again, it's looking for those symbols, looking for those signs, identifying those key moments, and then implementing that to create the best possible outcome. If I give you the best fettuccine and the best fucking Alfredo sauce and the best meats in the best presentation in the best environment, I'm only going to give you the best customer experience. Look how um, Colonel Sanders was complaining with KFC that they make the mashed potatoes with water instead of milk. And, and the potatoes are not freshly smashed. They're from, from the box. If I'm going to build a chicken franchise, I'm going to have real mashed potatoes. Even if the shelf life is smaller. Even if the window of taste opportunity is smaller. It doesn't matter. When you taste my macaroni and cheese, when you taste my mashed potatoes and gravy, or when you taste my burger, I want you to say, God damn, this is a good burger. I remember working in a place in New York. It's a restaurant called the Tuscan Grill. And at the end of the day, for the employees, they would give us food, right? So we would get like the mashed potatoes and gravy, and we would have like a garden salad. It would have like romaine lettuce and all these other exotic herbs. And I'm telling you, if that was just the appetizer, I can only imagine how good the food was. Because I could sit there and eat plates and plates on my way home. Of how good that mashed potatoes was. I didn't think 25 years later, I would say, okay, I want that mashed potatoes in my franchise. And life tends to be that way. 
I learned that from Steve Jobs. Only looking back can we connect the dots. So, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with that for today. I hope that this doctorate lecture has helped you in your pursuit of happiness with your brands and your products and services, with your franchises, with, you know, all of the things that you are incorporating for a greater future. You know, my intention for the podcast was always for it to be conversation style and for all of us to learn from each other. I don't just want to be the grandmaster teacher teaching everything that's going on. I encourage people to teach me as well. I'm, I'm coachable. If you read a good book, if you took a good uh, business class, share it with our community. Leave it in the comment section below. Leave the links. You know, you guys can email me. And let's all learn from each other because this is a process that I never thought would still be happening in my life as an entrepreneur. I still don't feel that I've hit the home run where I could just retire and, and, and just not do, you know, business at all. I hope I never get to feel that way. But I always wanted it to be approachable by anybody. For example, in the article that I wrote about Patrick but David, I said that Valentainment welcomed me with open arms. I can still go back to all those business lectures and retake them again. And every single time that I take one of those uh, college classes online, I'm going to gain value from them. That's value that I can incorporate into my businesses. That can help me grow as a person in my career and in my investments. There's so many franchises that I've thought about over the years. Not only major franchises, but other smaller ones that maybe are not as popular as well as custom franchises that I've built myself. And that's what I'm driven by, is the potential. Who knows what can happen? I don't know which investment is going to be the home run. All I can tell you is that every single day, I'm going to be swinging until I get that fucking home run. And when I hit a home run, I don't want to hit the fucking home run to the benches. I want to hit it out the park. Thank you guys so much for your time. God bless and I love you guys. And tune in for the next episode of the Venom R1 Business Podcast. I'm your host. May you have a wonderful day today. May you conquer everything in your path. And may everything that you touch turn into solid gold. Always remember to dream big because dreams come true. It happened to me and I know for a fact it's going to happen to you. God bless. See you next time.